0: And I am so grateful for my wife, Janet. Raise your hand there, honey. Forty-four years ago today, she said, I do. And she was a child. She didn't know. And I was a child. We were two kids. I was number 44 on the football team, all right? Six-man football team. One of the smallest public schools in the state of Texas but we won it all that year and at the end of the football games the cheerleaders would run out and Janet was head cheerleader and she was faster than the rest of them and she got there and that's how I met her. We, uh, we hooked up on the football field and started uh, seeing each other and loving each other and 44 years later uh, we we pledge to love, honor, and keep in sickness and health, poverty and wealth. And it's been a great, great blessing in my life to have Janet Rose Hamilton Crosby by my side for 44 years. And I <laughs> uh, I love the life that God brings us in such a partnership with our three children, our eight grandchildren and just the ability to journey together through all these years. I can't believe it's been 44 years. It's passed like the blink of an eye. So, I'm grateful. We have had another shooting and you may have already heard, but while you were in small groups, uh, apparently a group of policemen in Baton Rouge was targeted by a sniper or a group of snipers. And three officers have been killed and four others wounded. And, you know, it's uh, still a crime scene. I don't know anything else. Uh, just saw the headline. But I think we need to pray. All right? So let's bow together. Almighty God, Lord of heaven and earth, We need you now. We need your peace. We need your comfort. We need your assurance. We need to lean on you heavy. We pray for families that are numb with grief, confusion. God, we pray for them. We pray for the Baton Rouge Police Department, for the chief of police there, the parish president in East Baton Rouge. We just lift them up to you, God. Lord, we we ask for your strength and wisdom. We ask for your Holy Spirit to attend to our need. We pray that all of us will look to you right now. Lord, we feel like those folks in the Old Testament. We don't know what to do, but our eye is upon you. Lord, help your church to represent you well in this time of turmoil and difficulty, committing ourselves unto you, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. I'm in 2 Peter chapter 2, we're marching through this book, the title we've chosen is a phrase from the book, Everything We Need. Everything we need, whatever the difficulty, whatever the challenge, whatever the heartache, everything we need, found in Christ alone. I'm in chapter 2 of Second Peter. I'm starting with verse 1 in the reading. This is the NIV. But there were also pro- false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world when He brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if He rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed, By the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. The Apostle Peter, in his second letter, writing to the church. Peter is a fisherman. He was always astonished that Jesus called him into the group. Jesus not only called him, but he made him the leader. And Peter writes from that point of view of a grateful heart, and the astonishment of God's grace in his life. Peter didn't have everything down perfect. When we read him in the New Testament, testament we see how he struggles with different things he's got this mouth that pops off when when he he ought to be silent he's aware of his frailty and shortcomings just like the apostle paul was aware when he says i don't count myself to have apprehended it's not like i've accomplished i've attained perfection he says i'm still struggling i'm running the race i'm striving and that's all of us all of us are there And what our behavior uh, indicates is also that mentally, in our thought life, we're not perfect. We hold some things that are false. We ought to have the humility to acknowledge that we are not perfectly wise in every way. And often life is a conundrum to us and we are confused and that's just how it is so to point out that there are false teachers is a heavy thing indeed and the Apostle Peter does it because it must be done even though it indicates that there is a schism, a division within the teaching ministry of the early church he must do it because it is damaging the life of believers to hear false teachers I got an email yesterday from someone who claims to be a prophet and who says that Obama is not going to finish out his term, but is going to take over, and that Russia is going to attack this fall, the United States. It's in the file with many such predictions. This is not the first time that I've heard, it's the fourth time I've heard that a president's going to take over and declare martial law. That was also said of Clinton back in 1999 when 2000 was approaching. In fact, I had a man give to me $1,400 worth of survival equipment. He asked me if I had a gun. He said, Clinton's gonna take over, declare martial law, the UN is going to uh, take over the United States. That was in 1999, so I've been doing this for a while, all right? And I've heard a lot. And I predict that Obama will serve out his term, and I predict that Russia will not attack the United States in the next six months, all right? So we'll see who the false prophet is, right? And if you get uh, a prediction from somebody who has the gall to say this is when the end is coming and he's wrong I hope you will burn his books and not listen to him anymore because he's presumed to know something he cannot know and he was wrong about it we have denominations today that exist that, are, that have flourished out of false prophecies people predicted. it that Jesus was going to come at a certain time. And he didn't come. They finally look back then and say, well, maybe he just went into the Holy of Holies in heaven at that time. That's what happened. That's what we were talking about. No, that's not what you said. I remember being in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. Showing up in the middle of town. And there's a great big billboard that says, are you ready for the end? September 21, 2011. It's going to be the end. That was almost six years ago. Don't be duped. We live in a world that can breed fear and anxiety, and we wonder what's going to come on the earth. We hear wars and rumors of wars. These things happen. Don't fall into the trap. Don't let somebody use your fear and anxiety to manipulate you and tell you something that is not true. And when you walk away from that book or that video that you just saw, you believe it more than the guy that wrote it or made it does. Because he just wants your dollar. We have the truth. All right? We're not claiming that nobody else has any truth. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that there's no truth in other religions or in science or other ways of thinking. We're not saying we exclusively have all the truth and nobody else has truth. What we're saying is we have truth, capital T. And Peter says, look, I was an eyewitness I was there on the holy mount when God spoke to us. In fact, Peter remembers that in part because he got a backhanded rebuke from God God the Father on the mountain. He was wanting to make three tabernacles. And it was like God said, this is my beloved son whom I love. Listen to him. Peter, you shut up. (laughs) I think, Peter, I think I would have received it that way. Whoa, they didn't build three tabernacles up there. They didn't need to. Peter was there when it happened. And what Peter is doing right now is he's stepping up to say, okay, there's false teaching in the church. I am an eyewitness. I'm an apostle. Jesus chose me for this role. And I want to tell you that I saw the Lord in his glory and that the gospel is Jesus-centered. That's what he wants to communicate to them. Jesus is the center and heart of the gospel. And people will come along to have secret knowledge who have found some special truth somewhere that nobody's ever seen before. And here it is, and it's the big news now. This new thing that we've discovered that nobody else has known all this time. And I want to tell you, if he makes that the center of his message, you need to turn him off and get out of his way because he's going somewhere he doesn't need to go. We have known the good news for 2,000 years. And the good news is Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. And he alone saves. That's why we call ourselves at First Baptist New Orleans. We call ourselves Jesus people because we want to put on the Jesus goggles. Every time we read the newspaper. Every time we hear the news broadcast. Every time bad things come into our lives, every time we need wisdom, we put on the Jesus goggles because we are people who have found in Jesus the cornerstone. Christ alone is the cornerstone, not just for some theological construct, but for my life, for my worldview, how I perceive the world. Jesus is the cornerstone, and Peter is drawing them back from the false teachers to Jesus Christ as the heart of it. He's the heart of it. If Jesus fails us, we have been failed, okay? There's no recovery from it. We put all our eggs in one basket. His name is Jesus. We believe that he is God's son and the savior of the world. And Peter is saying to them, I'm an eyewitness. I saw him. I saw him in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. And he's drawing the church back to this solitary truth, Jesus, Proclaimed by the Old Testament prophets, a prophet like Moses, the son of David, a king like David, son of man from Daniel and Jeremiah, and suffering servant from Isaiah, he is the one we have waited for all of these years, and I saw him in his glory. That's what Peter says. We are standing on the shoulders of Peter the fisherman this morning, who is an eyewitness of the risen Christ. And he wants us to do so. So, we have the truth, number one, in Jesus. And we have the truth, number two, in the scriptures. And Peter makes that clear, too. He says, we have these scriptures that are a light in the darkness. And he says, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote these scriptures. When you start looking at lies, what you need to know is not more about the lie, but more about the truth. If you're trying to identify counterfeit bills, what you do every day is you study the real thing. Because there are lots of ways to counterfeit. Lots of things you can change. You'll never get done studying counterfeiting. But you can study the real thing until you know it's every detail. And when you see the fake, you know it instantly. And so Peter's calling us, number one, to be anchored in Jesus. So he is the center. He's the source of my life. And what I say in the front in the little blurb in the worship guide, I really believe is true. If you're not anchored to Jesus, you could float off anywhere. Jesus is God's one and only. So we are anchored in Him. And secondly, we have the more sure word of prophecy, which is in this book. And it is able to make you wise unto salvation. So we need to be students of the word. Everybody has some New Testaments, some paper uh, back New Testaments near you. They are the New International Version. And they have in them, many of them, the plan of salvation written out several months ago by people who are sitting in the pews at that time. I'm inviting you to take one of those Bibles. If you don't have a New Testament, go ahead and take one. If you know somebody who is hurting, somebody in need, take one. The Scripture will minister to their hearts. I was uh, delighted to hear that Everett Bear had received a Bible from his aunt with his name on it. And she had given him a list of scriptures to read, which he had read, he said to his wife. Everett came to our church for the first time two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. And he worshiped with us. I visited with him out in the lobby. He had been diagnosed with mesothelioma, an aggressive form of cancer. He was going to have his first chemotherapy the next day on Monday, which he did. And so after visiting with him, in the lobby I called him on Friday to see how he did with his cancer treatment and he said it was tough and we talked about Jesus and we talked about trusting in the Lord and I assured him that God loved him He's the same, he was the same age as me and then we prayed together and Sunday morning July 3rd they came to me and said Everett died this morning I'm so glad somebody gave him the Word of God. I'm so glad his aunt intervened to do that. I'm so glad others of his family testified and witnessed to him. And his wife, Rachel, talked to him. I'm so glad I had an opportunity to speak the Word of God into his life. We don't know how long we have, do we? We don't know what will happen tomorrow. It's very important that we are ready today and we get ready by anchoring our life in Jesus as Lord and knowing the scriptures which are able to make us wise in our salvation. So I'm challenging you now. Okay? You live in a day when there are false teachers. There are pseudo teachers just like there have always been and you need to know the real thing. You do. Not your wife, not your kids or the preacher. You need to get out your Bible and read those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the letters of Paul and Peter and familiarize yourself with the text. Know the truth so you can spot a lie. We have the truth, able to make us wise unto salvation. And Jesus is the way, truth, and life. That's what Peter's pointing to. That's what he's saying. He's saying about these teachers that they have denied the sovereign Lord who bought them. You see that phrase, the sovereign Lord who bought them? It's an important phrase because the word sovereign Lord in the NIV translates a Greek word, "despotes." It sounds like despot, doesn't it? It's a word from which we get despot. And it's about somebody who has absolute authority. It is only used two or three times in the New Testament and translated Lord in the King James Version, but in the NIV they always translate it Sovereign Lord, so we'll know it's not the typical Kurios, but it's a, a different word, despotis, and it focuses on the absolute power and control of the One. And they're denying the Sovereign Lord, the sovereignty of the Lord, His power to save, his ability to rescue us. Brothers and sisters, today, with all that is going on in our region and around the country and world, we need to remember the sovereignty of our God. He is a sovereign Lord. Our trust in the end is not in our weaponry nor in our human leadership, but it is in God. We are trusting in the sovereign Lord. He has all the power necessary to care for us. And we need to settle into the place of peace in him. That word that Peter uses to describe how the Holy Spirit carried along the prophets as they wrote is a word that is uh, moving by being carried or or being borne along. I remember as a boy waking up when I was three years old in the arms of my father. I'd fallen asleep on the couch, and he'd scoop me up to take me to bed. And I woke up briefly as he carried me down the hall. We were right beside the water heater when I woke up. And I looked, and I realized where I was in the middle of this hallway. And I was in the arms of my father, and I went right back to sleep. I was asleep before he ever got me in my bed. That's where you need to be in the father's arms right now. Wrapped up knowing he is, he is powerful. He's able to care for your every need. He is the sovereign Lord. He's in charge of this universe. And he has not lost control. As difficult as our times may be. He's a God who has, who has cared for us in every eventuality and situation of life. And he's going to care for us now. So trust him. The false teachers were veering away from the sovereign Lord. They were denying, perhaps, that he was the sovereign one, that he was all-powerful, and said, oh, no, there are other powers that are conflicting with his, and maybe will win the day and are more powerful than he. And then they are denying the sovereign Lord who bought them His character is that he is the sovereign Lord. His work is that he has bought us. So the sovereign Lord who bought them includes both the person of Christ and who he is and the work of Christ, what he has done. See, we are giving uh, all glory to God because he... Jesus alone is worthy to open the scroll for he has purchased with his blood people from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the earth. He has purchased them with his blood. The word sovereign Lord who bought them is looking at the purchase Jesus made with his blood of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. That he is Lord and he is the one who saves us. We stay anchored here then. We have the truth. It is in Jesus and in his word. And Jesus is our anchor both in who he is as our sovereign one and what he has done in purchasing us with his blood. You see how this keeps us tied to Christ, crucified and buried and risen again. This is the core proclaimed throughout the world for these 2,000 years. The core of the gospel. Jesus, our rescuer. Loved us so much, he laid down his life on our behalf. Now, these false teachers are living a life that Peter describes as uh, decadent and uh, ungodly. He says they have this uh, depraved behavior that undercuts the gospel. So I want you to Be reminded today that salvation changes behavior and that we either affirm the gospel, which is preached from this platform and taught in our small groups, we either affirm the gospel with the way we live our life and how we talk, or we undercut the gospel. We bring disrepute to the gospel with our unfaithful life. Very, very important, brothers and sisters, that we live in a way consistent with what we profess. When I prayed for Kendra before we came into the baptistry, I prayed that when she remembered her baptism, it would change her behavior. It would remind her that Jesus is Lord and that she has taken a public statement, a public stand with Jesus and that her behavior is important because she is connected to the Lord Jesus whose name she bears. We believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. When I spoke with Garland Robinette on his radio show Monday, he surprised me a little. Thank you for praying for me, by the way, and some of you tuned in. But he started out by asking, what is a conservative Christian? And I didn't know he was going to ask that, So I told him, well, a conservative Christian is a Christian who believes in the authority of the Scripture and seeks to make the Scripture the authority for their faith and practice. I said, that's how I describe a conservative Christian. I said, I do not describe it politically. I describe it in terms of the Bible. He said, well, do other faiths get you to heaven? And I said, I quoted Jesus. I said, Jesus said... I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus. It's recorded in John 14, 6. I'm not the judge. I don't want to be the judge. I'm so glad I'm not the judge of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I'm so glad I'm not. But I know there's one way. And it's God's way, and He is assigned that way. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. That's what He proclaimed. That's what we proclaim. We call people to a Christ, to a sovereign Lord, who bought us with His blood. And we seek to live out a life that conforms to that confession. So that every day when people watch me at work or in school, They're not wondering, how could I be a Christian and behave this way and talk this way? They're saying, there's somebody who lives what they believe. My kids, daddy lives what he believes. Mama lives what she believes. Those grandchildren, those friends, those people at school, they know that that's our testimony. Peter says, you watch out for those false teachers. They live a depraved lifestyle. And God's judgment is going to come upon them. Sometimes you look at the world and you despair and you think, you know, wicked people just do all kinds of things and they never have to pay the price. And they destroy people's lives and they just get away with it. And it doesn't seem like justice occurs on the earth. But let me tell you, we believe that God is love. We also believe that he is holy and just. There was a man who was pastor of First Baptist Church, New Orleans, for four years. His name was R.G. Lee. He pastored this church from 1923 to 1927, and he crafted a sermon that he preached thousands of times and would rank as one of the great sermons from an American preacher. It was called Payday Someday. Payday Someday. And Peter says, there's a judgment coming. The righteous are going to experience the rescue of God just like Lot and Noah experienced it. God is able to rescue the righteous from their trials. Are you going through times that are tough? Are you hurting? Has a trial come upon you? Is it a difficult time? God is able to rescue you. You just trust in him. You walk with him. He'll carry you through this time in your life. He is able to rescue the righteous. But there is a moral order to this universe because there is a God who is good. And good prevails over evil. Love prevails over hate in this universe. Ultimately, God wins. And everybody who breathes one day dies. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment you give an account for the deeds done in the flesh and God's judgment is just as sure as his mercy is sure that's why it's important for every person in this room to make their peace with God the family of Everett Was comforted to hear him say, I have made my peace with God. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. He didn't know he would die so soon, but he shared that with his family. It's important for you to know that you have made your peace with God no matter what your age. It'd be great to have peace with God now, wouldn't it? To have the peace in your heart that passes all understanding. God gives that to us. You can have peace with God. How? We have peace with God, the Scripture says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. He has taken the penalty of our sin, and he extends to us forgiveness. People say, well, I don't believe in deathbed conversion. Well, Jesus did, you know. He heard the thief on the cross say Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom And how did Jesus respond? This day You will be with me in paradise You've misjudged God He loves to show mercy He loves to forgive He is eager to forgive And if he sees a person like you Turning their life, their shoulders and their face toward him He runs to them Even if they're a long way off, and some of us feel like we are a long way off, God loves to see us turn. And the moment when we turn, He runs to us and He covers all the distance to us. And He takes us in His arms, just like Jesus described with the prodigal son. As soon as the prodigal son appeared on the horizon, the father dropped everything and the scripture says he ran to him. That's how Jesus pictured God running to the son who has finally turned toward him. And the moment he appears, God is there to receive him into the family. Fully, completely into the family. It's amazing grace. It's wonderful. Aren't you ready to turn toward God? You've been going some other way. You're headed down some other path. When you love to have peace with God that passes understanding? Wouldn't you like to turn to him today? If you'll turn toward him, if you'll turn toward Christ, if you'll say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness, and I want you in my life, just that turn. You don't have to clean up everything in your life. You don't have to get your act together, and you can't. What you need to know is there's a judgment day coming. And the score is going to be settled. And one of these days, you're going to stand there and say, whatever your fate, yes, what God is doing is right and true. And you can know where you stand with God today by receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord so that you stand not on your behavior, not on your mistakes, not on your good deeds, but in all that Christ has done because he's the one Who bought you he bought you you're purchased by his blood you belong to him it's pure grace it is unearned and undeserved and unparalleled and unimaginable and amazing that God loves us like this and yet he does I recommend to you a savior whose love includes you. I recommend to you a father who is eagerly waiting to see you turn. I recommend that you come running. Thou with me, please. Father in heaven, you're amazing, God. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that you are the father who loves and forgives and receives us. Lord, I pray today that men and women, young people, boys and girls in this room will turn their face toward you. Leaving the track they've been on to start in a new direction. Receiving Jesus as Lord. God, I pray somebody today will confess, Jesus is my Lord. God, let it happen in this room this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.